Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by our friends over at Paleo Valley. They've got an amazing organic super greens product that makes getting your greens super simple and easy. They have 23 organic superfoods in each scoop, each with their own unique benefit for boundless natural energy. And their powder is really in a class of its own. You see, most greens products contain cereal grasses and certain proteins that can cause digestive distress and inflammation as well. You see, most of them have things like wheatgrass and barley grass, and those cereal grasses contain a lectin called wheat germ agglutinin, or WGA, which is highly inflammatory. Certain experts believe that WGA may be as responsible for the health-damaging effects of wheat as gluten. And many who are gluten-sensitive also have issues with WGA. So Paleo Valley set out to produce the best, highest quality organic super greens powder without the cereal grasses. And they use only the finest, most bioavailable superfoods, helping your body absorb those valuable vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and enzymes found in each delicious serving. There's no fillers, no indigestible ingredients, just 23 nutrient-rich organic superfoods full of the nutrients you need for a vibrant, healthy life. And it's so easy. It'll only take you 30 seconds a day. You simply add a scoop to a glass of water or milk or smoothie like coconut milk or making a smoothie or even your favorite baked goods recipe and make your day that much healthier. It's USDA organic, gluten-free, non-GMO, no fillers, no cereal grains. It is low carb, zero added sugars, no sugar alcohols or artificial sweeteners, keto-friendly, you guys are going to love this stuff. Guys, check it out at paleovalley.com forward slash jockers and use the coupon code jockers, my last name at checkout to save 15% off your order. Again, that's paleovalley.com forward slash jockers. Use the coupon code jockers at checkout to save 15% off today. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Got another exciting Q&A with you with our great health coach, awesome health coach, Melissa Noor. Many of you guys know her. If you don't, you're looking for an amazing health coach. Can't get any better than Melissa. She is a rock star. And we're going to tag team a little Q&A. Some of these questions came from my Instagram page, from my Facebook, from YouTube. So if you're not following us on those, definitely do. Just check it out. Just look for Dr. David Jockers and you'll find me uh, on all those major social media platforms. So with that said, Melissa, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm doing great. Um, I've got my college boys home for a few weeks before they start their summer job. So it's been a little hectic, but um, nice to have them home for a short time before they start their adventures for the summer. Nathan's going to South Africa. He's actually doing a mission trip. Exciting. And then Dylan's working at an accounting firm in Atlanta. So oh, that's big awesome. plans for them. Yeah. Awesome. Very right, good. Great. You raised some great kids. Oh, thank you. I'm very proud. Yes. So. 
All right, well, we have some great questions. We've got several from YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. So let's get started with those. The first one's from Eva on YouTube, and she wants to know, how do you know if you have strong mitochondria? And so maybe first we should tell everyone what mitochondria are in case there's some people that don't know. Yeah, for sure. Well, mitochondria are organelles within all the cells of your body and they create all the energy in your body. And they actually are more of like a, they're kind of a sensory system for energy production in general. So they respond that will turn up energy or turn down energy based on the environment. And um, they're, you know, quintessential for aging well, for having good mental function, good energy levels. And that's really, you know, just from a subjective perspective, how do you know you have healthy mitochondria? Well, you should have plenty of energy. You should have great mental clarity, right? You should be able to think sharply, clearly. You shouldn't struggle with a lot of different mood disorders. Um, you know, you should just feel really good. You should be able to exercise, you know, at a pretty good intensity. In fact, that's usually a pretty a pretty good clip is if you're able to, um, you know, get your heart rate up at a high level and, and be able to perform like exercise, doing resistance training or walking or running or something like that. The mitochondria really have to ramp up energy production in order for you to effectively do that. And so that's a sign. If you're able to do things like that, you're able to recover from exercise effectively. Those are all positive signs for healthy mitochondria. Um, you know, and, and the brain is, is the most dense area outside of the reproductive organs, the ovaries and the testicles, which actually are the most dense area uh, for mitochondria. The brain is, you know, for all of us, you know, really where we want to keep our mitochondria really strong and healthy. And there's 10,000 mitochondria per cell in our neurons, as opposed to our muscles, which are typically around a thousand mitochondria per, per cell and our liver, which is roughly around 2000, our heart is around 5,000. So you can see those vital organs, right? The heart is a muscle, major muscle. It's constantly pumping blood and uh, 5,000 mitochondria per cell brain, 10,000 mitochondria per cell. So as the mitochondria start to become uh, dysfunctional, right? Which, and this happens to all of us, we all get these kind of dysfunctional and senescent or aged mitochondria. Healthy people are able to eliminate them and rebuild them, like kind of recycle the, the, the main components. We call it autophagy or what specifically with mitochondria, we call it mitophagy. We're able to break down the damaged parts and, um, and remake them, right? Remake the mitochondria, make newer, healthier, more stress-resilient mitochondria. But we're all developing these dysfunctional ones. So the better we clear them out and rebuild them, the healthier we are. But obviously, one of the major signs is going to be some mental issues, right? So memory problems, slow cognitive thinking, could be depression, right? Um, low drive, low, low mental drive, fatigue. These are all classic signs that the mitochondria are starting to fail. Yes, awesome. And there are tests you can do. So we have we have an organic acids test on our website that actually has several markers for mitochondria and then a new NutraVal test that we're offering that has some mitochondrial markers. So if someone wanted to test, they could do one of those two tests to look at that. Um, and then we've got some great supplements. If anyone feels like maybe they need some support for mitochondrial health, there's my, one of our favorite, my favorite supplements that we carry at Dr. Jockers is called Mito Support. And it's a great blend of different nutrients to support your mitochondria. So something to look at. Yeah, great. All right. Great. Um, 
All right, so the next question is from Barb on Instagram, and she wants to know what is the best diet and supplementation to help with SIBO? So SIBO, S-I-B-O, is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and a lot of my clients have SIBO. So let's talk about the diet first, Dr. Jockers. What do you recommend diet-wise for someone who has SIBO? Yeah, and probably the most well-studied diet for SIBO is going to be a low FODMAPS diet that tends to work well, although each SIBO case is unique and individual, just like every every person is unique and individual. And so um, for certain cases of SIBO, like um, SIBO that, you know, typically with SIBO, the bacteria are producing certain gases, right? So they can produce a lot of hydrogen gas, it can produce a lot of methane gas, and the ones that produce more of the hydrogen sulfide gas tend to actually do a little bit better on um, not such a low FODMAP diet, actually a higher prebiotic diet in some cases. So again, there's, there's variability there. Um, the methane producing bacteria, if, if you have too much methane producing bacteria in your small intestine, oftentimes you'll end up struggling with a lot of constipation and those individuals tend to do better as a whole uh, on a lower FODMAP diet. And what is a FODMAP? They are these, uh, these specific types of carbohydrates that are found in plant foods, right? And so you've got like fructans and oligosaccharides and different things like that, galactans and beans and legumes. And these are really healthy, you know, that we find the FODMAPs in foods that we would consider very healthy, right? Broccoli, cauliflower, right. all our cruciferous vegetables, um, legumes they're in, you know, a lot of different fruit have uh, avocado, for example, has, I believe fructans in it. And so you find these in a lot of healthier foods. However, when somebody has this kind of bacterial overgrowth, there's just so much disorder in the gut. Usually they're not producing enough stomach acid. They're not producing enough bile to really sterilize their small intestine. They're not producing enough enzymes. And so we try to follow an elimination diet and we eliminate these foods or at least minimize the amount of FODMAPs for a period of time. I don't think that that's the best diet long-term. Um, I believe that we should have a fairly well-balanced diet uh, long-term, but for a, for a period of time, maybe a few weeks, while we start to work on you know, other strategies to help support the gut, going on a low FODMAP diet can be really, really helpful. And if you haven't tried that and you're struggling with SIBO, you're struggling with gas, bloating, constipation, even diarrhea, um, you're, if you're struggling with issues like that, acid reflux, it's worth a try because a lot of people have had success with this low FODMAP diet. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's a pain in the butt because you know, there's a lot of good foods that you're probably eating that you'll have to take out for a period of time but try it for a week and see what you notice. And I've seen a lot of people notice that they feel a lot better when they try this. In fact, you know, one of the diets, and I recently did a podcast on this is the carnivore diet that has gotten a lot of, you know, press lately. And it's a very, um, you know, controversial diet, but there's a lot of people out there that have claimed that, you know, with autoimmune conditions, gut issues, things like that, that have seen amazing results with a carnivore diet. And I believe one of the reasons why they saw those results is they took out these FODMAPs, allowed the gut to heal, rebuild, um, reduce significantly reduce gut inflammation um, because they took these things out. And so that could be a great approach, definitely worth a try. If you've already tried that, you may also consider a carnivore diet, right? And, and trying something along those lines. 
if you've gone down that route where you've really done your best to kind of minimize FODMAPs, you've tried carnivore, those things just, you, you didn't feel good, you got worse. You, if you haven't, you could also try a higher fiber diet, actually, believe it or not. There's, you know, some people with SIBO actually do better on that. It's rare, but for some cases, they actually do better on that initially. Um, and then, you know, if you've tried all those things and you're still not getting results, you know, reach out to somebody like Melissa because there are other components, right? And adding in some antimicrobial herbs can be really helpful, supporting stomach acid, bile, pancreatic enzymes, taking like a, a full spectrum digestive enzyme or something along those lines can be really helpful as well. Yeah, definitely. So something else to consider, and, and we, we usually do go to the low FODMAP diet, but there's also other culprits that people mm -hmm. with SIBO can be prone to having reactions to. So things like histamines and oxalates and salicylates, yeah. they're all substances. And again, in a lot of healthy foods, and normally they're tolerated well, but they can cause problems when the digestive tract is inflamed and reactive and SIBO can cause that inflammation. So um, you know, it, you may need to explore more. If you've done the low FODMAP, it didn't help. Of course, carnivore is the ultimate elimination diet, but there may be other compounds that mm. you're actually reacting to. So something yeah. else to consider. I didn't even mention the elemental diet too, or semi-elemental yeah. diet, which is basically like a liquid diet that is taken out, you know, has, has made the carbohydrates in there and the proteins as absorbable as possible. So your digestive system has to do the least amount of work to absorb these nutrients. And there's a lot less fermentation that takes place because again, you know, the, the components are in their most absorbable form. And uh, so there's not this bacterial fermentation that takes place. And so the elemental diet is, you know, if you, you want to talk about a really boring diet, that's yes. a boring one, but but again, you're doing it for a short period of time. It's a liquid, you know, liquid nutrition for a short period of time to allow the gut just to buy it time so it can heal and regenerate. And, and your, your intestinal lining, those cells heal every three to five days. So they are constantly working to heal and regenerate. But if we're creating massive amount of endotoxic related uh, inflammation in the gut, it's just wearing down your intestines and it's causing leaky guts, cause driving up inflammation throughout your body, causing a lot of unwanted problems. Right, awesome. Okay, so let's go on to the next one. This is Jen on Instagram and she asked, can you fast if you have low ferritin levels? And then again, can you fast if you have high cortisol? Yeah, and I think that's those are both great questions that I get often. And the first thing we got to do is ask, you know, what kind of fast? Are we talking about intermittent, kind of a uh, time restricted feeding, which is where we'll compress our feeding window to like maybe eight hours and eat three meals or two meals in an eight hour window, let's say 10 a.m. to 6 p.m.? Are we talking about that kind of fast? Or are we talking about like fasting for three or four or five days? Um, and so somebody with low ferritin, uh, that's that typically means that they're either not absorbing iron well. Ferritin is a storage form of iron. Of course, we use iron to produce hemoglobin within our red blood cells, and hemoglobin is what carries oxygen. And then the, the oxygen releases and crosses a pressure gradient into the cells, right, where we're able to produce energy. And so, obviously, we need that, right, in order to get oxygen to the cells. It's so cr critical for fuel delivery. So if somebody has low ferritin, we have to ask, are they not absorbing iron? Are they not consuming enough iron? Maybe they're on like a vegan diet or something like that, and they're just not consuming enough heme iron. Or are they bleeding? Are they losing iron, right? Let's say they have a really heavy menstrual period. 
And so they're, they're losing iron. So when it comes to fasting with low ferritin, um, and, and I think the other thing we have to look at is like, what, what is low ferritin? Um, typically, I like to see it between 50 and 100, particularly for women. Men might be a little bit higher. We might get up. And you know, if it's up a little over 100, I'm not overly concerned about that. If it's up over 150, it's an acute phase reactant for inflammation and oxidative stress. Um, but roughly in that, you know, 50 to hundred range or so, uh, is typically good. If it's under 50, we're definitely dealing with, with some low ferritin. Okay. And, and a lot of women will notice this. We'll see this on labs, like after they've had their menstrual cycle where they're losing a lot of blood. Um, I don't recommend an extended fast during that period of time. Like I wouldn't recommend a five day fast if you have low ferritin, so, you know, it is a good thing to check if you're noticing, you know, just a lot of fatigue, paleness, you know, your skin's real pale, you're feeling cold often, cold hands and feet. Um, those would be signs and symptoms of uh, an iron deficiency or at least early phase iron deficiency. So I wouldn't recommend that, but I would recommend an intermittent fast, time-restricted feeding. A lot of times, you know, when it comes to heavy menstruation, or when it comes to not absorbing enough iron, <clears throat> that the reason why is because there's inflammation in the gut. There's insulin resistance a lot of times, like polycystic ovarian syndrome is related to insulin resistance. And so in those cases, I definitely would recommend intermittent fasting because that'll help improve your insulin sensitivity, which will help balance out your estrogen, your testosterone, your progesterone levels. Um, it can be very effective for that. And for the gut, intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding is one of the best things we can do to help heal the gut. So that's key. Now, there are some other things we can do. Like, for example, we need to look at stomach acid levels and making sure that we are um, producing enough stomach acid levels or supporting with supplements our stomach acid production so we can absorb iron and other minerals like zinc, uh, magnesium, calcium, things like that. And then we need to make sure that the diet is rich in, you know, heme iron rich foods like grass fed beef, for example, or something along those lines. So those are some other things that, you know, we want to look at if there are, you know, if there is excessive bleeding, we want to look at possibly the cause of that, right? Which, you know, again, could be polycystic ovarian syndrome, but there are other conditions as well that, that can be associated with that. So that would be my answer to that one. Any, anything to add to the ferritin? Well, I've noticed with my clients, a lot of them with low ferritin actually have gut infections like H. pylori. Mm. So it's yeah. really important to address that underlying cause. We're all about looking at why do you have low ferritin? And, you know, of course, Dr. Jockers talked about the diet piece and not absorbing the iron that you're getting from the foods if you are eating them. It's not just what you eat, it's what you absorb, right? So um, you can still be eating some red meat or other iron rich foods, but not absorbing well. So gut infections can contribute to that malabsorption. So that would be one thing to add to that. Yeah, that's a great thing to add. And that is a very common issue with this. So yeah, we definitely have to address that. Now with high cortisol, there's a couple of big things that we want to look at there. So with intermittent fasting, we can do it at different times of the day. For example, if somebody doesn't feel good because maybe they do have really high morning cortisol, um, you know, they can do, they can eat in the morning if they want, and they can have their compressed eating window, let's say from, let's say like seven to three or eight to four, where they can eat in the morning, you know, and we call it early time restricted feeding where you're just cutting off, you're, you're not eating dinner late. 
for some people that helps kind of settle their system. So they just don't have quite as much of a kind of a stress reaction and they're still able to sleep well, right? As long as they consume enough protein, really focus on blood sugar, stabilizing foods. For some people that works really, really well for them. Um, for other people, we, we want to do things like perhaps using some different herbs, like drinking some kava tea, for example, or lemon balm, uh, passion flower tea, things like that, that, that are all natural things that kind of help balance uh, stress hormones. That can be really, really helpful. Most of the time we can get a compressed eating window. In some cases, we have to look at kind of the, the whole scenario, right? So if you are, for example, a female that is very low in body fat, and you're also very, very active, like you're exercising regularly, and you're also stressed. Maybe you have a, a full-time career or you've got kids that you're taking care of or something like that. You know, your body is going to be very sensitive to the amount of body fat that you have on your body. And if you get under a certain threshold of body fat, it's going to drive up a lot more stress hormones. Okay. And so, and it's going to reduce your ability to activate thyroid hormone and to um, have a good metabolism. And so, uh, because it's trying to protect its body fat stores. And so in that case, we might try some, some time-restricted feeding, but we'll do it on non-consecutive days. We call it crescendo fasting. Like for example, we might do it Monday and Friday. So that way that stressor where we compress that eating window to let's say eight hours is only two days a week, non-consecutive days. And on the other days, you're doing more of like a 12-hour eating window or 10 or 12-hour eating window, okay? And so I, I think everybody should really be doing a 10 to 12-hour eating window and like a 12-hour fast, overnight fast, let's say from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Unless perhaps, you know, you're a pregnant woman or, you know, a newborn, obviously, or a high-level elite athlete that's, you know, burning 5,000 calories a day, you may not be able to do that. But other than that, um, pretty much everybody should be doing a 12 hour, uh, at least a 12 hour overnight fast, and then consuming roughly three meals in somewhere between like a 10 to 12 hour eating window, and then compressing it as kind of a mild stressor for your body to adapt to at least two days a week. And they can be non-consecutive days, especially if you deal with the high cortisol, try it on those non-consecutive days. Um, so that way your body has time to rest in between. And on those days, don't do anything, you know, super intense, try to minimize your stress uh, during that fasting window. And I think if you do that, your body is going to start to adapt to it and get better. Ultimately, fasting is going to make the mitochondria healthier and um, it's going to help, you know, your body produce more mitochondria and healthier mitochondria, which is going to help you be more efficient with your energy production. You're going to be more metabolically flexible, better at burning fat for fuel, um, and you're also going to be more efficient in how you use energy. So I think the benefits are fantastic. We just have to kind of lean our way into it. I think that's key here. What are your yes, thoughts, definitely. Melissa? Yeah, I agree with that. So with my clients with high cortisol, a lot of them are people that are just pushing themselves too hard. And so I'm always trying to get them to minimize the extra stressors on the body. And fasting is a stressor on the body in a good way. But just because a little is good doesn't mean a lot is better. So I think that extended fasting would definitely be a problem. We're just trying to avoid, um, you know, that uh, the overstress on the body, because a lot of times what happens with my clients is they've got all of these things that are kind of filling up their bucket 
And then that stress piece is what can tip it over. And they go from being high cortisol driven, getting everything done to really hitting the wall where they are exhausted. So to avoid that, I'm trying to teach them balance and stress reduction and stress management. But fasting absolutely has a role in in healing as long as it's within the proper bounds. So it just really depends on the person with that and what's driving up that high cortisol. Yeah, exactly. And just like exercise, you know, we know exercise right. is great, but there's a lot of people that overtrain and there's a lot of people that are chronically ill that, you know, for them, exercise might be walking to their mailbox, right? Right. Um, which may not seem like exercise to most of us, but for that person, that's very intense. So we have to understand where their starting place is. And, you know, we want to challenge your system, but very mildly in the beginning, you know, and then kind of gradually increasing the the stress of the fasting as their body's adapting better to the other stressors in their environment and as their body's getting healthier. Yes, exactly, exactly. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick moment and tell you about my new book, The Fasting Transformation. I am so excited about this book. It is a functional guide to help you burn fat, heal your body, and transform your life with intermittent and extended fasting. Fasting is the most ancient form of natural medicine. And in this book, I take you on a journey to help you understand how fasting improves your blood sugar and your insulin sensitivity, how it shuts down inflammation in your body, optimizes your hormones, turns on fat burning, and helps activate stem cells and deep cellular healing. Guys, you're gonna learn so much from this book. You can check it out, The Fasting Transformation on Amazon or on our webpage, drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. So check that out now. You guys are gonna love the book. And if you have a chance, leave a review on Amazon. Thanks so much. All right, awesome. So let's talk about the best, this is from Little Voice. Let's talk about the best foods to avoid or include on a plant-based diet to reduce joint pain. Yeah, and I, I wanna give Little Voice a shout out because Little Voice, I believe it's a she, gives us a lot of good content um, in fact, uh, for the next podcast, she's already written down like 10, 10 new <laughs> questions. So she gives us awesome. a lot of great content when it comes to, uh, to, to these Q and A's. Now she was mentioning plant best plant-based foods for joint health. Is that correct? Right. Exactly. Yep. So the best plant-based foods for joint health. I mean, obviously it's going to be individual to each person. However, there are certain things that tend to, if you deal with a lot of joint pain, one thing to consider, you know, obviously we talk about food sensitivities a lot. Uh, gluten is, you know, one of the most common and, um, you know, the, the, the most well-known food sensitivity. And that would definitely be something I would avoid for joint health. Um, but another class of plant-based foods that you might want to consider reducing, and again, some people thrive on these, but some don't, are nightshade vegetables, right? And that's going to be things like tomatoes, bell peppers, uh, regular white potatoes, sweet potatoes are not a nightshade, but white potatoes are, um, what else is in there? Tomatoes, uh, you got peppers, you've got okra, right. Is another common one that's in there, eggplant. And so look up nightshade vegetables and I would do a nightshade vegetable elimination for a week or two, and just see if you notice that your joints are feeling better. So that's something that you can consider. Um, also looking at 
higher oxalate foods because high oxalates can also trigger more joint pain if you have a high oxalate load. So that's going to be things like nuts and seeds and um, spinach, chocolate, things like that, and try to reduce your oxalate load and see what you notice. Now, in general, what I found are you know some of the best foods for joint health. And again, this can be individual because some one person may not respond well to, to this, while another person may, is going to be things like coconut fats. That's going to be healthy. So coconut milk, things like that. Um, olives, olive oil, one of the best things. In fact, olive oil, particularly if you get a extra virgin olive oil that has kind of the bitter, kind of the the uh, the sharp the sharpness in your throat. That is oleocanthals, and oleocanthals are one of the most powerful polyphenols that we've studied, and they are called plant-based ibuprofen because they actually um, shut down the COX-1, COX-2 uh, part of your immune response, which is part of the uh, immune activation in the joints. And so they're really, really powerful. Oleocanthal has anti-cancer effects, things like that. So extra virgin olive oil from a really good, like I like fresh pressed, the fresh pressed olive oil club is a really good one. There's another good brand called uh, Kyord, K-Y-O-O-R-D, high polyphenol rich, extra virgin olive oil, super good. And then olives, green olives are more rich in polyphenols. So they've got more of the oleocanthal in there. Black olives have lower polyphenols, but they're very rich in oleic acid. They still have a lot of vitamin E in them. So those are also very, very good foods that, uh, that you can be consuming. So avocados would be another good one. So those sort of healthy fats, you know, they're going to be blood sugar stabilizing. They're going to be really good. And then um, I would say polyphenol rich uh, foods as well. So blueberries, raspberries, uh, blackberries, right? So fruit with a lot of color in it uh, can be really good. Lemons and limes because they've got vitamin C and, poly and uh, bioflavonoids in them. So those are really, really good. Um, you know, foods with a lot with, with color can be, can be very helpful as well. What are your thoughts, Melissa? Yeah. So I love this question and Dr. Jockers and I love the three X four genetics test, and it's mm. actually got a pathway for joint collagen and joints. And a lot of my clients come back high on that pathway, which means they've got some genetic susceptibilities to having issues with collagen and joints. And so I pulled up the recommendations for that um, just to kind of look at what they were, because with each pathway that comes up high, the top three, 3X4 gives you diet, lifestyle, and supplement recommendations. And some of the diet recommendations for collagen and joints are foods that boost collagen production. So of course, things like animal protein, but you're asking about plant-based. Um, so cashews, oats, quinoa, green leafy vegetables, hemp and pumpkin seeds are some of the foods they recommend. And this test was created by registered dietitians. So I love their diet advice. And then also foods that reduce joint inflammation and, and slow cartilage breakdown. So those are things like raw broccoli, cabbage, bok choy, horseradish and cauliflower. And then finally, they recommended um, two to three foods that support collagen and joints daily. So um, and contain vitamin C, D, and biotin. So mushrooms, almonds, sweet potatoes, like Dr. Jockers mentioned, berries, citrus fruits, mangoes, and bell peppers. So just some more ideas of foods yeah. you can incorporate into the diet. 
And I yeah, think I, everyone I, should consider that test. Don't you love that test, Dr. Jocker? Oh yeah, because it really helps personalize. It's a three by four genetics test. So you can find that on our website. We've also been producing more content around uh, genetics and, and helping you understand how your genetics play a role with your health and, and your healthy lifestyle choices. But that, that test is fantastic for really helping you identify what some of your susceptibility areas are and giving you good recommendations for it. And also I wanted to give a, a plug for one of our supplements, Collagen Max, because a lot of people will mm -hmm. ask me, they say, well, I'm plant-based or I don't do you know, collagen peptides and, and consume things like that. We have another great product called Collagen Max that supports joints, skin, things like that. And it is really a, just a great form of silica, orthosilicic acid. Um, that has been shown in studies to really support collagen production. So um, it's just a liquid, right? That you basically can add to water or just kind of put right in your mouth, plant-based, you know, it's not, um, it's vegan. So uh, that's another good product that you can use to support joints and skin and nails if you don't want to use collagen protein as well or collagen peptides. Yes, good. That's a great product. A lot of my clients use that. They love the liquid formula instead of the powder. Mm. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, let's do one more question. One more, Mary, yeah. Mary is asking how to not get upset when your family members don't take your practical health advice. Yeah. I mean, it's very hard to not get upset, right? I think you just have to realize that everybody's in their own place. You know, they're in their own place. There's areas in our life that, you know, I try to just be humble and realize I don't have all the answers to everything in life, right? There's blind spots that I have as well. And all of us can be very prideful, um, and you know, just stubborn at times. And so I think the best approach with your family is to just try to live it, try to be the example, you know, ultimately people are most people, most well-intentioned people are going to be attracted to people who are happy, joy filled, um, you know, just have a glow about them. Right. There's kind of a magnetic attraction to that. And, you know, some people they're dealing with a lot of, you know, life stressors and mental, emotional issues and things like that. But if, they always see you as somebody who's encouraging, who is full of life and joy and hope and is not, not coming across as judgmental to them, right? You're going to be somebody that they think of as, that's a person I want to be around, right? And ultimately, the people that we spend the most time with are going to influence us, right? And, uh, and so, you know, obviously, you don't want to let a, another family member's bad behaviors influence you. So you've got to be strong on the inside and, and really practicing you know, as well as you can and um, taking good care of your own, um, your own thoughts, like your, your, your internal voice, right? And, uh, and the things that you, you allow to come into your mind and, and to, to take a home in your mind. So that's super critical. But at the same time, when you do that, when you're able to just be an example and be an encouraging person, somebody who uplifts others, um, doesn't offer, you know, public criticism of them or, you know, is, is just loving and, and caring in, in, in nature, then that person is going to be attracted to you and what you do and how you live. And uh, that's really kind of the best way to help lead them, right? And they may never change, right? But it's still the best way to lead them. And you're going to win more converts by doing that than by just angrily and frustratingly uh, telling them what they need to do in spite of, you know, them really not wanting to listen. I love that answer. And one thing I would add, because I've got a lot of clients that ask me this, especially moms when their teenage sons or daughters don't want to eat healthy, but um, 
one thing I would suggest is invite the family over for dinner at your home and prepare a healthy meal and let them see. I think a lot of people just don't think that healthy is tasty or or that um, is too expensive, you know, or, or whatever. So you can show them that you can make a really nutritious meal that that is delicious and that's economical. And also, um, I love what Dr. Jacker said about not being judgmental, you know, just accept where they are on their journey and you give them, you try to educate them, share things, you know, but I think some people, if you try to push too much your opinion or health advice, that's going to make them more resistant. So just be gentle with them, meet them where they are, and then make them a meal or buy them a multivitamin, you know, just anything you can do to just where they can take baby steps Mm. to becoming more healthy or to, you know, implementing these strategies in their life. Because I think some people feel like it's an all or nothing and they can't just eat healthy most of the time. But, you know, anything we do on a daily basis that contributes to our health, whether it's going for a walk or eating a salad for lunch rather than getting takeout, whatever those just baby steps can make a big difference in the end because they add up. So that would be my advice with that one. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Really good advice. So guys, another great Q&A in the books here. Um, If you guys are looking for a great health coach, Melissa, just check her out on our website under health coaching. You can also email her at melissa at drjockers.com. She's fantastic. We'll take great care of you. And uh, guys, if you haven't left us a five-star review on our podcast, please do that. Leave us a review. That helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. And be on the lookout. You guys can contact us at info at drjockers.com. If you have any other questions that you want us to address in the podcast, just kind of title podcast question. And uh, we'll be sure to answer that one of our future Q&A podcasts. Thanks so much, guys. And we will see you on a future upcoming podcast. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.